We now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. To say this out loud, this is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him... I am in absolute surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This morning we are going to talk about uh, Marketplace Mandate. It's the final message in this series, part five. And this morning I want to talk to us about Marketplace Missions. And just um, share with us some very important thoughts on um, missions but connected to the marketplace, connected to cities and what's happening in cities. If you look at our nation and what's happening across India, uh, according to the 2011, the most recent census, in India we have about 641,000 villages. And about 72% of our population reside or live in these villages. But what is also significant is that about 27% of our population live in about 5,100 towns. And out of these, there are about 380 larger towns, we would call as cities. And the number of Indians or people in our nation who are moving from villages to towns or cities is on a huge or dramatic rise, more and more people are leaving villages and moving into towns and even to the largest cities. And according to the statistic, between 1991 and 2001, in that 10-year period, there was a growth of about 30% in these urban areas. People living in these urban areas, a migration of people from villages to towns and cities. As things stand, we have about 53 large cities or metro areas across India with over 1 million people in each of these. 1 million or more. And almost 50% of all urban urbanites, people living in cities, live in about 50 cities or 50 metro areas in India. They all live in these 50 cities across India. India. 50% of India's urban population are in these 50 cities. And as you look across the nation, the cities are booming. Marketplace, towns are booming. Things are, you know, things that we never thought of 20 years ago are happening today. Now, 20 years ago, if you wanted a pair of Nike shoes, your dad had to travel abroad on a business trip. And when he came back, the gift he brought you was a pair of Nike shoes. It's like, man, you're so excited. 
Today, Adidas, Reebok, right? They're down the street, you know. You could go down the street, get all these branded stuff. And I mean, things are changing. Almost every sector, industries on the boom, the opportunities are numerous and just growing. And it's so important for us as believers, urban church believers, to understand that missions no longer means going out to some remote village or some tribe or some faraway place that has happened in the past and that will continue. But when we talk about missions, we must also begin to think about our cities, about these metro locations throughout our nation, because people are moving in there. And these metro areas are just expanding, expanding and growing. Eight million and more people in the Bangalore metro area. And when we talk about missions, we need to begin to think about cities. And the marketplace becomes a key factor in urban missions, in reaching people in our cities. And that's what I want to address this morning as we talk about marketplace missions. To challenge you and I on what we can do when it comes to reaching people in our cities. I want to review something I've been sharing with us quite often over the last couple of years. Uh, which we call and which is commonly called as the seven mountain assignment. And I think this is very important for us to understand the seven mountain assignment when we talk about urban missions and reaching our cities. When God wants to do something on the earth, he speaks to his leaders, his people, so that they can then pass it on to the church. So back in 1975, at that time, some of the key leaders in the Christian world was Lauren Cunningham, who was the founder and the head of uh, Youth with a Mission. Bill Bright, Dr. Bill Bright, was the founder and head of Campus Crusade. And Dr. Francis Sheffer was a, a leading theologian at that time. And God spoke to these three men independently. And he gave them the same message. He said that if my people will get into these seven spheres, he used different terminology, he Seven spheres, seven mind molders, seven pillars of society. If, God, if my people would get into these seven spheres and transform culture in these seven spheres, they can disciple any nation. So he gave a word to these, to these men. And when Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham met and they were just sharing their hearts, they found out that God was speaking the same thing to both of them. God was saying the same thing, just using different language, but he was saying the same thing, that if his people will get into these seven spheres of influence, they will, and, and begin to affect culture, they can disciple any nation. And so they released the word to the body of Christ. And unfortunately, it, it seemed like it just, it's a little, taking a lot of time for the body of Christ, for the church, to get an understanding of the seven mountain assignment and begin to act on it and but hopefully we are getting closer and closer and then the momentum is building up all across the world of marketplace believers of believers in the marketplace taking their position in these seven mountains and then understanding how to affect culture how to impact these seven spheres of society so that cities and eventually whole nations can be disciples amen now I just want to make a passing comment. We can talk in detail about this some other time. 
But it is interesting that many prophecies given to the house of Israel, the nation of Israel, were actually fulfilled in a spiritual sense by the church. For example, in Joel chapter 2, Joel stood up and prophesied. He's speaking to the house of Israel. And he said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So he's speaking to Israel. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter stands up at the birth of the New Testament church in Acts 2 and he says, this is that. The church is fulfilling what Joel prophesied. Amen? Same thing in Amos chapter 9. Amos prophesied, speaking to the house of Israel, saying, The Lord says in the last days, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. In Acts chapter 15, James, the leading apostle of the church in Jerusalem, stands up and he says, James said, God in the, in the last days will rebuild the tabernacle of David, and we are it. Saying, the prophecy given to the house of Israel is being fulfilled in a spiritual sense by the church. There was no literal tabernacle of David, but the church was a spiritual fulfillment of a literal prophecy given to the house of Israel. So now if you go into your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2, you'll find a prophecy, of course, through the prophet Isaiah, to the house of Israel or to the nation of Israel, which I believe correlates to what we're talking this day about the seven mountain assignment. In Isaiah 2, we'll read verses 1, 2, and 3. Isaiah says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted over above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah's prophesying, My, uh, Micah also repeated this prophecy in Micah chapter 4 and verse 2. Exactly the same prophecy. He says in the last days, God will do something. Remember, many times when the prophet said in the last days, it was actually fulfilled by the church. What did he say? In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house, meaning the house of the Lord, meaning the people of God, will be established on top of the other mountains and the hills. Mountain, mountains and hills signifying places of influence in scripture. So God's people will be established about. They will extend influence. They will begin to be salt and light on other mountains. And what will happen? Nations will flow and say, come, let us go. To the Lord. Amen. I understand there is a literal fulfillment of Isaiah 2 too. But what I am deeply convinced about. Is that the seven mountain assignment. Given to the body of Christ in this hour. Is a spiritual fulfillment. Or is about to become a spiritual fulfillment. Of what Isaiah and Micah prophesied. About the mountain of the Lord's house. Being established on top of the other mountains and hills. Amen. We just had to wait and see. But these seven mountains that Bill Bright, Lauren Cunningham, and the others prophesy or conveyed to the church about, they refer to these seven spheres of influence. One was family. Another one was religion or the mountain of beliefs, the whole culture of beliefs. The mountain of education, media, all forms of mass communication, television, internet, print, media. 
arts and entertainment every expression of culture through dance to music to sports other activities that express culture art and entertainment business or economy all forms of trade and commerce technology and science and medicine and government what god was saying is his people need to go into these spheres of influence and begin to affect culture and begin to shape the thought processes the reasonings the ideologies that occupy these seven spheres of influence and if god's people will do that any nation any city any nation can be discipled meaning the great commission can be fulfilled amen you know traditionally the church was very reluctant to go near mountains like media and arts and entertainment i mean if you look back at you know traditional pentecostalism and so on it was a sin to have television in your house internet was a form of the antichrist i mean all kinds of weird things which hindered god's people from really becoming salt and light in these spheres of influence but the mandate for us as believers is different it's for us to occupy till he comes it's for us to go into the world and be salt and light where it really matters amen no big deal sitting in church and saying this little light of mine it really matters if you can get out into those spheres of influence and there shine your lights there be salt amen so the mandate is very clear for us that we must get into these spheres of influence god is interested in the people in bollywood god is interested in those people they are all created in the image of god they may not, may not act like it all the time but they are created in the image of god and they need to be saved and we must get in there amen it's interesting let me just talk a little bit about marketplace missions and the history of marketplace missions you know it's really interesting to uh, uh, to look at christian history i love reading about christian history and what god's done through the ages and just inspired by the stories of great men and women and, and the amazing things you've done they've done but truly i believe that william carey who's also known as a father of uh, modern missions was probably one of the Uh, most outstanding marketplace missionaries some of you we, we we had our missions camp last year we we showed you his uh, his uh, his movie uh, the, a movie on william, on william carey's life and just amazing but just very quickly for us to know the kind of life this man lived the man who was known as a father of modern missions he lived between 1761 and 1834 he was born in england born in a very poor family he had to learn uh he worked as an apprentice to learn how to mend shoes when his uh, his teacher his master died he be, you know eventually st- set up his own shop and was a cobbler very poor circumstances that he was born in and grew up in but he had a great interest in languages he started trying to teach himself new testament greek uh, and he was a very determined man uh, he is quoted to have said i can plod i can persevere to any definite pursuit when he was totally determined about things when you know in his marriage as well things were very rough his first child died at the age of 2 uh but he he just continued working as a cobbler and on the side he was learning hebrew and latin he was very 
deeply spiritual where he committed to his Baptist upbringing. He became involved with the Baptist mission. And uh, finally, in about 1792, something was really stirring in his heart. He, being a part of the Baptist mission, he challenged the, the Baptist mission saying, what are we doing here sitting in England when there are nations around us dying without the gospel? People scorned him for even thinking about going to nations. But he took a bold step. In 1792, he set sail for India with his entire family, his wife. He had three boys at that time. Another child was on the way. And he had a friend who accompanied him. John Thomas was a surgeon. And they headed for India. They came and landed somewhere near Calcutta. He came initially as a preacher. But he soon realized that in order to touch the lives of people, you can't just preach. You've got to engage with culture and you've got to engage with society. So he really adjusted himself, adapted himself. He learned the Bengali language. Uh, for the first seven or eight years, there was no convert, nobody that he could lead to the Lord. It must have been very frustrating. But finally, about seven years later, 1799 or 1800, he saw his first person led to the Lord and baptized. He published the Bengali New Testament. And he opened schools for children. When I say he, I mean his team. Opened schools for children. And they began to teach children. Education. God into the mountain of education. He also engaged with the, uh, the evils of society that he observed in his day. He raised a voice against uh, the abolition of sati, infanticide, assisted suicide. Uh, later on, in about uh, 1818, they eventually set up a college, a university in Calcutta. The Sarampur College, which continues still today. Uh, offering uh, uh, liberal arts education and theology and so on. So he spent about 41 years in India not returning to England even once. Not once. 41 straight years in India. He was responsible and his team was responsible for translating the entire Bible into several major Indian languages. Bengali, Oriya, Marathi, Hindi, Assamese, Sanskrit. And parts of the Bible into over 209 other languages and dialects. He translated Indian literature. So the point just to summarize about William Carey's life is that he just didn't preach. But he engaged with culture. He contributed to society. And he has left a lasting legacy. Affected our nation more than what we can think of. Amen. Probably one of the leading marketplace missionaries. A man who engaged with the marketplace in order to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of the other uh, things that we must be aware of in terms of the market, uh, marketplace missions and marketplace ministry. And I'll just highlight them. There's plenty that God has done over the years. Um, but the full gospel businessmen's fellowship. Started in 1952 by a man named Dimo Shakari. And he was actually an, an European immigrant into uh, the United States. Settled on the West Coast. And he was actually a dairy farmer. Had a big dairy business. Very successful. But then he realized that Christians, believers in business, needed encouragement. 
And so a few years prior to 1952, 1952, the organization was officially formed, but he actually started doing this prior to that. He would get business people, Christian professionals for a meal together. They would sit together and there would be testimony, there would be worship, there would be teaching of the word, simply to encourage Christian professionals in the marketplace. And out of that was formed the full gospel business, businessmen's fellowship, which now is all over the world. Uh, and, and that was one of the early pioneers of understanding the importance of believers in the marketplace, encouraging them, equipping them, uh, and, and, and empowering them to be witnesses in the marketplace. Another major organization related to this is the International Christian Chamber of Commerce. This was in Europe, founded in Europe in 1985 by a man named Gunnar Olsen. Uh, again, ICCC is doing a great work all over the world today, empowering believers in the marketplace. And since then, a lot has happened. Many leading names that you might be familiar, Oz Hillman and others who, who are uh, you know, important teachers and ministers uh, of, uh, uh, in equipping believers in the marketplace. Many Christian books have come out on this. And uh, so I believe there's a great momentum all around the world for believers to be ministers of God in the marketplace. Amen? So God is doing something. The question is, will you and I get into it? Or will we just stand as spectators and say, wow, that's nice. Thank God for William Carey. Thank God for them. I'll be happy going to church. Or would you and I say, God, I want to be a minister of God in the marketplace. I want to do something in the cities of my nation and I want to do something in my nation for the kingdom of God. Each one of them lived their life. When their turn came, they did something for the kingdom. The question is, it's our turn today. Will we do something? I want to lay before us several areas in which you and I as believers can engage the marketplace. I want to talk about reaching Indian cities and the Indian marketplace. What can you and I do as young people? College students, professionals, what can we do in our cities, in our nation? How can we be missionaries or ministers in the marketplace today? I want to present these to you this morning. Number one, we must influence culture with biblical values and kingdom principles. This is a very, very basic, something that everyone can do. Influence the culture in your school, in your college, in your place of work. Influence the culture with biblical values, kingdom principles. That's simply being salt and light where we are. Amen? And all of us can do this. You don't need a, you know, you don't need a theology degree to do this. Just live. By the principles, like things we talked about last Sunday. Live by the principles of God's word. You will begin to affect culture around you. Just by being there. And living the way we are supposed to live as believers. And as we begin to influence culture, we are actually preparing people for the harvest. We are pointing people to Jesus. By just being there in the place of work. We are preparing them for harvest. Have a sense of vocational stewardship. Meaning that your vocation is not just a means for you to earn some money and take care of your needs so that 
you could serve God if there are any remaining hours. No. You are a steward of the vocation God has given you right now. As a student, as a working professional, that's your vocation. You are a steward of it, meaning God wants you to use that in a way that will serve his purposes and that will please his heart. We talk about stewardship of money. So therefore give your tithes, your offerings, you contribute financially. We talk about stewardship of time, don't waste your time, etc. But we must understand that we have stewardship of our vocation as well. Meaning God's interested in what you're studying. God's interested in your job, your profession. Can you use it or will you use it in a way that will honor God and serve the purposes of God? Amen? So, at a very basic level, all of us can influence the culture of our places of influence, of our spheres that we're engaged in. By living out biblical values. By practicing things the Bible teaches us. And then one heart at a time, one life at a time, life on life, you will begin to touch people. Prepare them for the harvest. Amen? The reason someone else might receive Jesus is because, not because of the brilliant sermon somebody preached, but while that sermon was pre being preached, God was reminding them about you. And the sermon of your life, maybe you walked alongside them for seven years. And while they're listening to a sermon being preached, God is reminding them, do you remember that guy? He was next to you. He worked with you for seven years. And all of a sudden, your life is speaking louder than the sermon he's hearing. And he chooses to give his life for Jesus. Why? Because you were affecting culture. His ways of thinking, you were challenging them by the way you lived. You are being salt and light. Somebody else might reap the harvest. But you were influential in seeing that person come to Jesus. Amen. Now, we can also do things proactively to begin to infiltrate our culture, our society, our world around us. And there are just so many innovative ways, so many ways to do that. And I'll just run a few things by you just to see how, you know, just the amazing things that's happening. For example, this whole concept of coffee, show, a coffee house, the sanctuary, and then we have mustard that's opened up recently. Just, it's just an amazing idea. To have a coffee house or a coffee place uh, that is very, has a Christian atmosphere, Christian music is being played, believers are around, uh, young people can come, have coffee, have cake, and, but then unload their burden to somebody who's willing to listen. And in the process, encounter Jesus. That's amazing. And that's how the Jesus people movement started in the 1970s. You know, there was this, there was this big hippie movement in the west, coast of, uh, the west coast of the United States. And all began like this. There was a young pastor there uh, who had a church not too far from where all these hippies were hanging out. People were stoned and, you know, just, just out in another world. That was a time when drugs and all that just became, like, it just exploded all over the world. And uh, so all these guys, you know, they were... Punk heads, dead heads, stone heads, all just in that whole area. And here was this pastor having a church. And he had all these sophisticated, strict, starched up people attending his church. And it so happened one Sunday that some of these stoned, they don't know where I'm going people, landed up in his church. And these other people, these Christians, told pastor, pastor, aren't you going to 
get them out of church. And this answer is recorded. He said, they are created in the image of God. And I will serve them. And what happened was, these nice people left his church. And all these punkheads and drunkards and stone people started attending his congregation. But that gave birth to what was called as the Jesus movement. And by the hundreds, by the thousands, these people started getting saved. You sneeze Jesus and they'll say, yes, I want to believe. <laughs> it was that kind of a movement of God among these stoned people. Because one pastor said, they are created in the image of God. It gave birth to a movement that affected the world. Amen. Many of these people got saved. And then on the east coast, a man named David Wilkerson, he's gone home to be with the Lord. But he rose up and he said, I have a 30 second solution for getting out of drug addiction. And people are shocked. 30 second answer to get people out of drugs. Yes, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it worked. It is recorded that 80% of people, while he was ministering, 80% of people who got baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, got delivered from their drug addiction. And it took 30 seconds. It worked. Massive movement of God. So, going back to this coffee shop, what I'm saying is, we need some innovative ways to get into the culture and embrace people, different subcultures in our city. Do something to reach them. Think about this Avanti Football League. Some of you played football. We, APC has A team and B team. If you, that's a revelation to many of you. But we do play football. <laughs> uh, and uh, last year, the end of last year, we had an amazing time, three months playing football, being part of this Avanti Football League. And, and it's amazing. What a great concept. Get people to come in, pay for the tournament, to pay to participate, send their teams in. They all play football. But before every match, they pray. And at the end of this, this three-month football league, there is this, uh, the closing ceremony. And Max, the, the, the man who's heading up this movement, uh, he comes and shares his testimony very openly, shares the gospel. And he had all these football-loving people hearing the message of Jesus. What a nice way. Those guys would never come to church, but they come to play football. And they get to hear the gospel. Amen. So just so many innovative ways that we can think of uh, uh, bringing, uh, affecting culture. Our own church is involved in Catalyst. Getting into schools. I think 11 schools now uh, are teaching scripture and value education. Our elevates are going out into colleges. Our chrysalis, our, our counseling center has, has just seen, experiencing great open doors in, in, in schools and colleges for our counselors to go in and do workshops that are bringing biblical values to challenge the culture of our day. And we are getting such a good reception uh, in, in colleges. They want us to be there and serve the people. So we need to think of different ways to influence culture. Amen? Secondly, here's another way that you can be a marketplace missionary. Start a workplace prayer group. 
Now, don't violate the rules of your of your organization. You know, I mean, don't use the uh, the conference room or conference hall without permission. You get permission and do it if they will give you. If they do not give you per permission, it's okay. Go outside, you know, in a coffee shop or some other place and start a prayer group. But do that. Start a workplace prayer group. It's very simple. Just invite some people to come and pray uh, every day or once a week. But I want to share this amazing story, what God did in um, the Fulton Street noontime prayer and the revival of 1857 and 1858. This revival took place in the most unlikely of cities, New York City. What happened was there that uh, around uh, uh, 1842, there was a man whose name was Jeremiah Calvin. Uh, he was a businessman uh, working somewhere in Broadway. And uh, uh, he decided, he just felt in his heart, this was in 1857, that he should just get a few people to pray during the lunch break. So a businessman in New York, uh, wanting to get some people to pray during lunch break. And so in 1857, so what he decided to do was he just printed small prayer cards and he gave them out to people saying, come, we're going to have a prayer meeting, come join us for prayer. And he had his first meeting on the 23rd of September, 1857. It's recorded here in church history that uh, 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 the first person showed up 30 minutes late and a few others came even later. But he did it again the next week. And the following week, about 20 people showed up for prayer. Then the week after that, on the 7th of October, there were about 40 people. And they were so blessed coming together for this lunchtime prayer meeting. That they decided to meet every day. And uh, soon, uh, a week later from that time, over a hundred people gathered together for prayer. And within one month, pastors around Fulton Street began to have prayer services in the mornings. And afternoons, people came for this lunch break prayer meeting. And they would just get together and pray. Soon, uh, they were meeting in a, in, a street, in a church on Fulton Street. And uh, three rooms were filled. Soon they uh, uh, went into a nearby Methodist church. That place overflowed. By March 19th of the following year, a theater opened up for prayer. And people filled up that place as well. Hundreds of people began to get together for prayer during their lunchtime in New York City. Soon, it says, there were 150 prayer meetings across Manhattan and Brooklyn during lunchtime. And newspapers began to report this. And within three months since that, prayer meetings sprung up all across America. Thousands began to meet in prayer services and even in their homes for prayer during this lunchtime. And meetings began exactly at 12 at the end of that one, people went back to work. How did it start? One man said, let me pray during my lunch break. If you want to join me, please join me. I am not saying that every prayer group that you start is going to end up like this. But I am saying, you never know what God can do. You never know what God will do. So start a workplace prayer group. Get a few people in your school in your college, in your place of work, just for prayer, maybe 30 minutes. Or if you don't want 30 minutes, start with 15 minutes. See where it goes. See what God would do. 
something can happen that can affect lives. Number three, minister in the marketplace. Don't be afraid to minister in the marketplace. That means talk about Jesus, pray for people. Don't be afraid to do that. God doesn't work only in church. He works even in the marketplace. Amen? In Mark chapter 6, verse 56, the Bible says that Jesus went into villages and cities in the country. They laid sick, place, sick people in the marketplaces. And they begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Where were these people healed? In the marketplace. Not in church, not in the synagogue, in the marketplace. Acts 17 records Paul when he came into Athens. Acts 17 verses 16 and 17. He saw the idolatry, the, the city given to idolatry. So he went into the synagogues. He preached to the Jews. But then he also went into the marketplace. And he preached to the people there. He not only preached inside the church, but he went out there in the marketplace. Minister in the marketplace. Do what you can to reach people. Pray for people. Expect God to do miracles in the marketplace. Be a marketplace minister. Come on, the things that you and I can do. We can go on weekend missions. Maybe you volunteer a few days of your time. And you travel off to another place. Minister and come back. It's over a weekend or a, or a week at the most. When you can invest in another city or another place in our nation you can impart spiritual equipping as well as professional skills that you can impart things that you use in your everyday life you can give somewhere else our partnership with the Emmanuel Hospital Association which is taking shape and I'll uh, uh, hopefully another week or so I'll have all the details back and then I can share that with you but our plan is to work with these two mission hospitals in Chhatapur and Champa and, and, and for us to send people out there do missions Equip people there with your professional skills and come back. We could go on short-term missions, which means a few weeks to a month. And you serve people and come back. Or there's a little longer than a weekend trip. For example, you can help others start out small businesses. Maybe even provide microfinancing. People to start up a small dairy farm or a poultry farm or... Uh, some other business that would be relevant to their area. You go in. You bring the skills. We su supply them a little a seed money to get started. Give them oversight for a few weeks. Get them going. You come back. You're engaging with society. You're meeting a need. And through that, you never know how that community can be affected. How lives can be changed. Number six, I would even challenge some of us to consider long-term missions. Maybe going over for a couple of years to a certain city in India. On purpose, go there to influence that city, to influence people, to touch lives. Paul the Apostle was a great example of this. If you just look at two of his locations and where he ministered in Corinth, you have this record in Acts 18, 1 through 11, and also in Ephesians in the rest of Acts 18 and early part of Acts 19. Paul, when he went into these cities, he was a tent maker. He had his team. They made tents. They didn't give it up for free. They gave it for money. They sold it for money. They took care of the needs. But he also established a church. He spent about two years in each of these places. In Corinth and then later on in Ephesus. So he was there a slightly long term. Established a church. But he also engaged the marketplace while he was there. 
So some of you could consider doing that. Maybe you're thinking of an advanced degree. You want to study. Think of going to, on purpose, pick a place, pick a college where you will not only get your education, but you can go there to influence people for the kingdom of God. You can do it on purpose, intentionally. Go on a long-term mission for about two years by the time you get to degree. But you go there to influence people for the kingdom of God. And lastly, something that I believe we as a church, and I like to see this happen from us as a church, is what I call city transformation teams. That is urban church planting movement. Eventually, I like a movement, a missionary movement, an urban church planting movement released out of our church that will affect all these cities we've been talking about, these 50 plus cities across our nation. We want to equip and send out city transformation teams, meaning teams of people who will go to a particular city with the purpose of raising up strong a church or churches in that city. But it's going to take preparation. It's going to be an intentional urban church planting movement that goes out of our church and affects cities across our nation. Uh, we need to get teams of people ready, identify, the, identify these cities, begin to pr start praying for those cities, begin to equip that team of people. They begin to plan, they begin to strategize how to relocate, maybe with their jobs. Infosys is opening a branch in, you know, Ajmer or somewhere. Plan to move. IBM or whoever. Your organization's plan to open a branch. You plan to go there with your company? Or you plan... So we get a team of people ready to go. We pick out those cities, begin to pray, begin to develop a strategy, equip a team, and the team moves to that city. They engage the marketplace, but they plant a church or plant churches in that city, in that region. Amen? So Pastor, Bangalore is nice. I love this place. That's fine. But we need some William Careys today. Amen? We need some people who are saying, I know I'm not going to be reckless with my life and waste it. I'm going to be prudent about it. But I'm going to steward my vocation, my profession, so that I can impact these cities in our, our nation where strong churches are needed. Many of our top cities like Bombay, Delhi, Calcutta, Chennai, Hyderabad already have many churches. But if you look at tier 2 and tier 3 cities, other emerging cities, you don't find strong English-speaking churches in those places. Or even most of the churches are regional language, and whereas these cities are becoming metropolitan areas where people are coming in, not necessarily from the locals, but people are moving in from other parts of the country, other parts of the world, they're coming in. You need to have strong churches in those places. The question is, will you... Be willing to take up this challenge. Be a marketplace missionary. Be part of our city transformation team. And say, yes, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to start praying for one city in India. Pray. Begin to plan. If four or five couples are willing to move to, let's say, Jaipur or Bhopal or Ajmer or yeah, some other part in our Chandigarh or some other part in our country, four, two, three couples, they begin to start praying for that city. And we take a lot of things that we have already here in Bangalore, things like Catalyst and Elevate and Chrysalis and uh, all the other things, these coffee shop ideas. We all have all these ideas already. We just have to reproduce them, replicate them in another city. Contextualize it, we'll begin to affect that city. 
Amen? But we need people who are willing to go. Amen? I was thinking to myself, if nobody goes, maybe I'll go. If, if, if nobody responds, maybe I'll just show up one day and say, Steve, it's all yours. I'm going to Chandigarh. <laughs> but we need people who are willing to go. Amen? There are cities in our nation that need to be reached. We must be willing to do something. Be marketplace missionaries. I want you to take some more time to pray this morning. And say, God, I want to have a passion for souls. I want to have a passion to see people come to Jesus Christ. And I want to do my part in this day to win souls. Give me the right ideas. Give me the strategies. Right where I am in the marketplace. How I can touch lives for your kingdom. Would you pray? And say, God, you've placed me in the city of Bangalore. From here, I have the opportunity not only to affect my city, but I have the opportunity to affect all these other cities across my nation. Amazing opportunity for us. We must be willing to get into the seven mountains. Begin to affect culture, influence culture. So eventually, people can be discipled and brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God has a role for every one of each one of us. He's got something for you. Would you pray? It may be right here in Bangalore. It may be in other cities of our nation. But God can use you. It may be in cities around the world. There are needy cities all over the world. God may take some of you into those cities. But you've got to be willing. Willing to say, God, wherever you take me, I want to be a marketplace minister. I want to serve you, God. Whatever vocation I may have, I want to serve you. Father, even as we wait upon you these moments, I pray you will inspire some new ideas, some new strategies of how we can affect these seven mountains in our city and our nation, God. Raise up men and women who will give birth to creative ideas, who will become channels through which your kingdom will come into these seven mountains. Make each one of us ministers in the marketplace, oh God. Simple things that we do that could result in so many lives being saved for your kingdom. Inspire that even as we wait upon you, God.
I wanted to take this seriously. It's not another sermon that you heard this morning. I believe we have a responsibility. Each one of us. You just say, God, use my life, use me in this city, in this nation. And take courageous steps. Take some risk. Go do it. Father, we just thank you. Are you stirring our hearts up? You'll give us wisdom and you'll give us courage. Wisdom, Lord, so that we don't be foolish and make silly mistakes. And courage, Lord, that will cause us to step out into the unknown and take some radical steps, risks for your kingdom. Give us the grace to blend wisdom and courage and make a difference today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Though darkness cover the earth and deep darkness the people, yet the Lord shall arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.